Thank you, Leslie and Paul. Good to see the rest of you here on a beautiful summer day. Even though it's not summer yet, it feels like it, right? <laughs> Compared to the winter we've had. I was, uh, I came across a, a quote that was uh, by Billy Sunday. He was the evangelist from yesteryear. And he said, uh, try praising your wife even if she's frightened at first. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good, actually. So, so husbands, go ahead and give that a shot. <laughs> and keep doing it, right? That's the deal. Well, let's take our Bibles uh, this morning and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We're in chapter 3. We continue on in the beginning of the church. And uh, this will be the second message, the second sermon that uh, Peter had given in Jerusalem. And uh, we'll find some things that truly are amazing. We're going to, um, I'm just trying to think where I'm going to do this. Let's start in verse 11, Acts chapter 3, verse 11, and we'll read through uh, chapter 4, I believe, verse 12. Here we go. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. As the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and kill the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that you through ignorance you did as did also your rulers." But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent you, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began." For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever you shall say unto you. It shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto, upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and they put them in hold until the next day, for it was now even tide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and, 
Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. May God add a special blessing in reading His Word, and let us just pause for prayer, prayer to our study. Father God, we're amazed at You. We are amazed at Your sovereignty, the power, and Your immutability. You can't change. Father, Your character speaks of an awesome God. And here we are in this place today. We've gathered to worship Your name, to praise You, to lift up Your name. And Father, we're here also to learn from You. As the Holy Spirit, Father, we would ask exclusively be our teacher today that our hearts, our minds would be open to receive what You have for us. Father, we just pray that You would have Your way with each one here today. And Father, our life's journey, You know our steps before we take them. Father, guide us, direct us. We ask that you'd be with each and every mother as well. Thank you for them, their lives, their integrity, their strength. Guide and direct, lift them high. Father, now these moments are yours as you connect with us. Relationally, Father, we'll ask that we've never been closer than these moments because of you. We ask the Spirit to lead in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 3 is the second time now in a very short time that Jesus Christ has been made the key message of Peter. Uh, The, the, uh, what should we say? Now, where do I want to start? I'm trying to review, but I want to do it quickly, but not too quickly, right? It's the beginning of the church. That's what Acts is about. It's that bridge book, if you will, from the Gospels leading into Romans. If you didn't have Acts, you'd wonder, what in the world happened? What's missing? You leave Jesus hanging on a cross. He's buried. He's been risen again. And then all of a sudden in Romans, you start talking about a whole lot of stuff with not that historical book called the church, which is given to us in Acts. Um, We know that as they were gathered on the Feast of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit literally came on every one of those believers. 120 were gathered in a room. Every single one of those received the Holy Spirit. And it was signified by a flame of fire that went, rested over every single person's head that was in that room. It was like the sound of a rushing wind, a hurricane-type wind, uh, which I myself personally have never heard. But those of you that have, it's amazingly powerful, isn't it? That noise brought all of the people to this place. When they entered... All of a sudden, them coming from all over the, the world, literally the known world, because of the Feast of Pentecost, they heard in their own language the wonderful works of God, which was brand new. That was a new experience in their language. And then Peter took that opportunity to say, I want to tell you about something that's very important. I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ, the one that you crucified. Just just down the hall, shall we say, just, just outside those gates. 
wasn't very long ago. Jesus, we know from the point of when he rose from the dead until he ascended, was 40 days. We know that we're literally within 10 days after that, boom, we're right there. We're in this place. 50 days since he was crucified outside that city wall. Peter is standing up. He said, you know what? I want you to know who you crucified. He gave them the full-blown message. He said, you killed your Messiah. At the, at, at the conclusion of that, literally 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, as their Messiah. Time went on, and now we're in chapter 3. They were entering, Laramie, if you'll put that picture of the temple up again, because this really plays into the context of everything we're talking about. We're still in Jerusalem. Just a matter of two months previously, potentially, Jesus had been crucified outside of the city gates. In the temple, this called a beautiful gate, which would allow the people, the Jews, to be able to go inside the temple, was where this lame man was found. Peter and, Jan, Peter and John, I'm sorry, uh, would have entered on that day, and it says they daily went into the temple. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Uh, this is not accepted material that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. <laughs> Uh, take the timeline, the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' living physically on this earth. On Monday of that week, he was crowned king. On Friday of the same week, he was hanging outside the city wall at Calvary being crucified. That's crazy, isn't it? And now, just two months after that, Peter his disciple, is inside the temple telling everyone that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that would be a hard sell. In fact, it would be a dangerous place to be, right? Well, he finds himself, we talked about it two weeks ago, at that gate going in, there's a man there that's been lame. He's been a beggar, if you will, for his entire life. From his mother's womb, he's never walked, he's never stood up. By the help of others, he was there on a daily basis. Uh, someone had asked the question a couple of weeks ago, do you think Jesus actually walked by this man? There's a high, high likelihood, honestly. Well, why didn't he heal him? And that, they didn't ask the question, but wouldn't that be something? They, I think the time was coming. Jesus, God's timing is above ours. Just think about this for a moment. On this event, Peter has the perfect illustration he looks at this man intently, it says, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up. To that man that day, it would have almost probably been a mocking. Jesus, that's the one two months ago was crucified in his name. And then it says, Peter reached down to pick him up, to help him up. Boom, he's standing for the first time in over 40 years. We'll find that later in our text in chapter four. For over 40 years, this man had never stood up. He had never walked. And yet the complete creation of his body. He stood up and is jumping up and down, right? And he was there. Why? Because he wanted money. He wanted some subsistence to be able to just get through life. At that point, I'm sure if you would ask, would you rather have the money? No. I want what I was given free from these disciples. Well, now he has an audience. They've gathered now. Um, obviously, those of Gentile uh, nature could not go into the temple, but they're meeting on the last remaining part of Solomon's temple, which was destroyed on the eastern wall. Uh, there's a lot of people there. Uh, there's a lot of people there. Several thousand there would have had to have been. 
What time of day was this, by the way, when they walked into the temple? Do you remember? About three o'clock in the afternoon. It was, it, was in the, it was the time of the evening sacrifice, of the time that literally they were going to be for the evening prayers and the evening sacrifice. So they would have arrived at the beautiful gate at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And all of this transpires. Now we have the living illustration. He's a beggar, but he's no longer a beggar. He's standing there. Well, this is illustration number one. Talk about bringing the people to you. And then Peter began to teach. He began to preach. Now, it didn't take him long to indict the people. He said, Jesus of Nazareth is the reason that that man is healed. It was his power. It's not our power. It's not us. It's Jesus that raised that man to literally to his physical fullness and a recreation, if you will. He's also the one you killed. (laughs) Uh, Just saying, You delivered your deliverer unto the Romans to be executed, and you are guilty. That's what we talked about last week. He brings it to a fullness in saying, you know what you need to do next is to repent and to confess your sin. Repent. We talked about repentance. We've done it a number of times. He did the same thing in chapter 2. What is repentance? If we're walking this way, now what were they saying as they were walking this way? If you were a Jew and you were in that place, more than likely you were one that saw Jesus Christ as a criminal, a blasphemer, and a complete idiot for taking on the, the establishment, right? Politically he was inept. You could, all of that was included and the religious leaders would have preached that message to the highest heavens. That's what you're walking. You're walking that way with that. And all of a sudden you've been caught up by a guy that was raised from being lame And it was because of Jesus Christ, and you have been asked, because you killed him, you were part of that movement, if you will, that said, Hosanna in the highest on Monday, and on Friday, you were saying, crucify him. Not only that, but you traded, if you will. Pilate was trying to get him off. There's a man by the name of Barabbas, and he was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. He was someone that truly was guilty. And Pilate says, "Um, would you rather give give you Jesus, who hasn't done anything, Or Barabbas, you know about Barabbas, he truly is a criminal. We want Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Peter has just painted that picture. Repentance is to turn around and go the other way in what God has said about Jesus Christ. That he is truly the Son of God. That he is the Messiah. And the Messiah to us as Gentiles does not mean nearly as much as to a Jew. The Old Testament was given to the, to the picture, the future being told about the coming Redeemer, the coming Messiah. When you say in the word Christos or Christ, we say Jesus Christ. Jesus is that word Emmanuel, God with us. If you want to know about God, Jesus is that person. You go to Hebrews chapter 1 and it tells us that Jesus Christ was the image of, the fullness of. You find it in Colossians, you find it all over the scripture. That if you want to know about God, just tune into Jesus. Tune into the Jesus channel. And you know what? You'll find Jesus in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. And if you want to see God, tune into Jesus. That's what Peter is showing them. He's showing them God through Jesus who they crucified. They've got to think differently. It's the same for us today. Every one of us here today and everyone outside of the walls of this place, for time past to time future, every single one since Adam and Eve 
have sinned and have a sin nature within us. We are sinners. How do we know that? Death passed upon all men. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The same thing that Peter is saying to the Jews. Now, this is very Jewish in nature. We'll find this as we unpack this. This will be the second time that Peter is giving a sermon to the Jews first. He's in Jerusalem. He's unpacking this message for them. Now, think of that for a moment. You want to think, is God really full of grace and love? Two months previously, this camp in that place in the temple crucified Jesus Christ. And he's come back today, repent and confess, turn towards Jesus, and you will be saved. Friends, I, that's, that's beyond words for me. That's above and beyond. That's grace magnified to a level I cannot display for you any clearer than that. That's what Peter is saying. Repent, that is to turn around, same for us today. If you're a sinner, you need to repent of your sins and turn back towards Jesus Christ. He's the one that paid the price. He's hanging on a cross, nailed to that cross, his blood being spent for me, me, Larry Melhoff. I sinned against God. He paid that price. And the really cool thing is when I received by faith Jesus Christ, then on the wall, shall we say, on my certificate, it says, not guilty forever. <laughs> because it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That is the most magnificent thing for you sitting here if you have accepted Christ as Savior. If you haven't, the opportunity for you to do this gives you the, act, the most exclusive right to Jesus Christ and to heaven and all of the as being heirs of God. Isn't that fantastic? That's what Peter's unfolding here. He's unpacking this box, if you will, of who Jesus is. Now, he's going to give five reasons to these Jews. And again, I'm saying it's very Jewish in nature. And that's not new. It was always to the Jew first. And Jesus was that way. In fact, we're going to be looking through Jesus' walk in his ministry that the first 12 chapters in Matthew were about Jesus presenting the gospel, presenting repentance to the people first in Israel. So, one of, let's look at, first of all, in verse, uh, verse 19. How was that for review? That was too much, maybe, but here we are. We made it. You, re, you reviewed with me. Acts chapter 3, verse, verse 19. Repent you, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Reason one, motivation to repent, is your sins will be blotted out. You will be forgiven. That word blotted is to be erased. To be completely, if you will, whited out. You know, that was something that, uh, to have some white out, remember that? We still have it, right? If you make a mistake, a little white out will fix a lot of stuff. But it's interesting, it's not only that, but it's to be erased completely. White out would go over the top. It would be like if you were a sinner in the Old Testament. Um, that would be like, then you've got to go sacrifice. Well, oh, man, I've got to go sacrifice. I sinned. I've got to go down to the temple. And these guys, it's interesting. I will state this just clearly. Uh, on board, on this day, in this place, were, were priests. I don't know the exact number, but there was 24 divisions or 24 orders of priests that would serve through the entire year in this temple. And their job was to be there two weeks of every year. So when Peter was here on this, there would have been a group of priests that would have been there partaking of all of these happenings. They're ones we'll find that we'll be confronted as we, find, as we go on. Now, um, and that rabbit took me off my other trail. Where was I at? What are we talking about? Quickly. Ah, 
Sac there we go. Thank you. Old Testament sacrifice. Okay? So you'd have to go take your lamb. You'd have to take your whatever it is, and you'd have to sacrifice. But guess what doesn't happen? This is what not, does not happen. Literally, it would be like, you guys have rugs like this at home where you pick up the rug and you throw that underneath? That's how we as children clean the rooms. <laughs> Just throw it under the rug. Just kick it under. It'll be fine. You know, pretty soon the rug is like, <laughs> that's not even a rug. That's a tent. It's, called, it's holding things, right? Well, literally, the Old Testament Levitical system, the sacrificial system was a lot like that. It could only cover it. It couldn't pay for it. Now, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, 60 days before, approximately, the payment had been made. He was called the Passover lamb. He was no longer throwing it under the rug. It was paid for. It was handled permanently. Whoa, that's different, isn't it? That's exactly what had taken place, that, that could take place. It, it wouldn't be just whited out, covered up. It would be erased your sin is erased if you're in Jesus Christ. So that would be the first reason to repent and be confessed. Uh, the second one we'll find is the sense that the kingdom will come. But let's, go, let's talk a little bit more about sins being forgiven. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Colossians 2 and verse 13. Colossians 2 and verse 13. And you... Being dead in your sins, that's exactly true, you are dead, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened or made alive together with him, watch, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The very same message is there, sins being forgiven, to be erased. The old system, the sacrificial system can only cover them, and now they can be paid for completely. So that's the first and foremost reason that Peter in verse 19 of Acts chapter 3 lays out there. Repent and be converted that your sins would be blotted out, to be erased. But there's a second reason. Now this is, this is uh, national in the sense of its, of its question. He says not only would your sins personally be blotted out, but the times of refreshing in the King James it says, shall come from the presence of the Lord. The kingdom will come if you're willing to repent and confess Jesus. What? Really? These guys? The ones that just crucified him? Mm-hmm. Now, this is the last full-blown invitation that you'll see given to the Jews as a nation is this one. It's the second sermon. Both of them were addressed to Jewish in nature, descent. This is the last one. Now, let's see how that actually follows through. Let's go and take a look at, well, what is it, who's, what's the coming kingdom? What is that? would be the millennium. That's the thing that the Jews, the disciples, in fact, remember, uh, just before Jesus was ascended, go back to Acts chapter 1, just flip back a couple of pages, and they said, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Well, that's, that's what they've been waiting for, right? They've been waiting for that forever. Well, it's that thousand-year reign when the king, who's the king? Jesus Christ. Is this not important? Would the kingdom come if you rejected the king? No. They rejected the Messiah. They rejected the king of the kingdom. So why would the kingdom be here if you've rejected the king? So if you confess your sins, you repent and confess, guess what? You're accepting the king, and you can't have a kingdom without the king. 
It's redundantly clear almost, isn't it? However, they had rejected. They'd done it numerous times. Repent. Repent. What do you know about the king, this kingdom? What, what, what takes place in this kingdom? What is this kingdom? What is the millennium? You guys are going to be quiet, okay? How long does it last? The millennium reign of you is a thousand years. Who's the king? Jesus Christ. So, what happens in this kingdom? Peace. Peace. There's no war. Stop for a moment. Can you imagine planet Earth with no war? No, I can't either. (laughs) There's wars going on every day all over the place. I'm even thinking domestically, right? The wars in the families. No more wars. Larry, yeah, disputes, all of that stops because Jesus Christ is in charge. There's peace throughout the entire world. He heals the lands. I mean, you can go to a number of passages and the lion and the lamb are sleeping together. It says a young infant can put his hand into the snake's den. Now, there was one mother that said, The millennium or not the millennium, my child is not going to play in the snake's pit, right? That's probably good advice, honestly, from what we're used to. Everything that you can think about, it's not perfect now, by the way, because we know at the end of the millennium, there's one more rebellion. There's one more rejection of Jesus Christ. Those that would be born during this thousand-year reign, and a thousand years is not going to be a long-lived person. A hundred is as a baby. You'll be restored, health will be restored to a very large level. That's the millennium. That's what he's talking about. That kingdom coming. What's holding it back? Why aren't they here? What's going on? Well, there's something that has to happen before the kingdom can come. We find that in Zechariah. So if you go to Matthew, turn back the first book back, you'll find Malachi. And then you turn one more book back and you'll be right into Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, it tells us something we need to know. This is why Peter could say to them, if you will repent and confess Jesus Christ, the kingdom will come. In verse 10 of Zechariah chapter 12, it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. That's the Holy Spirit. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him. Stop for a moment. Watch the pronouns there carefully. Who are they piercing? Who's speaking this, by the way? God the Father is speaking these words. Did you see that? They will look on, they pierced me. They will look on him. Talk about the Trinitarian picture of who God is. You see it right there in that verse. What do you mean? Who's, who did they pierce? Well, let's go back. Hold your place. We'll be right back. Let's go to John chapter 19. This happened not that long ago to these people living in Jerusalem. John chapter 19, looking for pierced. John chapter 19, verse 34. We'll start at verse 33. It said, but when they came to Jesus, verse 33, John chapter 19, and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers, this is, he's in the crucifixion position. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. 
verse 30, 37. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Ah, that's what we just read in Zechariah chapter 12. You know what's going to happen? If they would repent and view Jesus, confess Jesus as the Messiah, the one that they had crucified, that one that had been pierced, then the kingdom will come. But not until then. And the kingdom, I mean, this is going to blow your minds. Peter laid that out right there. If they as a nation, if this whole, if this whole group of people... The religious leaders, we're going to see a reaction from them. We have the religious leaders, we have the Sadducees, we have the priests, we have this whole entourage of the hierarchy of Israel's priesthood, if you will. If they would have collectively repented and confessed Jesus as Messiah, they would have accepted their king, their Messiah, guess what? The kingdom would have come right then. But God in his wisdom, and this is, the, this is the paradox between sovereignty and responsibility. God knew they wouldn't, so here we are today. If you're, if you're a Gentile and you're here today, you need to thank the Jews for not getting that right. Because we wouldn't have the chance we have today. But Peter gave him that opportunity. But he's not the only one. John the Baptist, let's go back to Matthew for a moment. Matthew chapter 1. See where did I write that down? Matthew chapter 3. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3. Now, what would you do? Stop before you, before you read anything. What would you do if you were God and you were going to prepare for the Messiah to come to the earth? Jesus Christ, God's Son. Now, that's, it's spoken of in the Old Testament. I mean, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. What, what would you do first? What, was the, what would be one of the things you'd bring to the table, if you will? I'd bring a forerunner. I'd bring somebody that would herald the announcements that the kingdom is coming, honestly, right? Because if you have the Messiah, you have the king, all you've got to do is do what he's asking. So let's see what they're asking. John the Baptist is that forerunner. Matthew chapter 3, and he says this in verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a great message. That's exactly what that's the message. But let's go to chapter 4. What's Jesus' message? Here comes Jesus on the scene. Let's go to verse, chapter 4 and verse six, 16. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What? <laughs> And he does that all the way into chapter 12 of Matthew. He's preaching to the Jews. He's saying, repent, confess the Messiah, me, and the kingdom is right here at hand. Now, it's got to start with accepting the king, accepting the Messiah. That, that, that makes sense, right? I mean, that just makes sense. You can't have a kingdom without the king. And in chapter 12, something changes. Chapter 12. Oh, by the way, what did Peter just say in Acts chapter 3, verses 19? What, what did he just say? Repent. And literally, the kingdom is at hand. <laughs> Same message. Same message. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. This is interesting. All of this context plays in. Matthew chapter 12. And something has changed. I've got to find, first of all, where is that at? Where did that go? 
wrote it down somewhere. Oh, there we go. Okay. Matthew chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Jesus has been exposing himself. He's been doing miracles. He's been talking about the kingdom coming. He's asking them to repent. And verse 14, Matthew chapter 12 says, Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. They didn't receive it very well, did they? Verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, knew that, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. That is literally the time in which Jesus turned course away from the Jewish hierarchy. They had rejected him. Now look at what takes place even in, uh, I think it's later in that chapter. I've got to find it a moment. His mother and his brothers came. Let's see if I can find that. Yeah, there we go. Verse 46, same chapter, Matthew 12, 46. Now, when you first read this out of context, it's like, what is this about? But let's listen. Verse 46, it says, while he had talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. He answered and said unto him that told him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now what if that would have come before chapter 12 when the religious leaders would have rejected him? There would be a national sense of acceptance. The Israelites, the Jews were his, mother, were his brothers and sisters, right? They've rejected him and now he's saying, You know who my brothers and sisters and my mother are? Anyone that does the will of God. There was a change of course right there in the middle of chapter 12. In fact, it gets worse. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23. This is one that is truly a picture of changing course. Jesus has been rejected. Now you say, wait a minute, didn't they crown him king? Wasn't, wasn't he like the downtown Jerusalem and they're like throwing down their garments and saying, Hosanna to the Lord, to the king in the highest. Well, that was on Monday. What did he do Tuesday morning? Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. How, what, did, what did he do Tuesday morning? Didn't he go right down, down to the, see, where, well, it wouldn't be on this picture. But he would go down to the embassy, the Roman embassy, and start throwing people out and say, we the Jews are in charge now. I'm the king of this kingdom. You guys get out now. How did I do? Was it pretty authoritative? Oh, not enough. Well, I'll give it a little more. No, I won't. I, I'll just stop there. But that's not what he did. He went to that place. He went to that place. And he starts throwing out the money changers, and he's getting rid of merchandising. He's getting rid of all of this stuff that literally is turning God's house of prayer into a place of merchandise. That was his first order of business. Now, that's the way to get people happy that are running the place. That's, that's game on, right? I mean, they're, oh, good for Jesus. We needed to clean this place anyway. It was, getting a little politi- it was a little politicized. There was some money going on. A little bit of mob activity. A little bit of, no, of course not. They hated every part of him then. And that's why they worked really hard, because Friday they had him on a cross. Friday they had him on a cross. So here he is, Matthew chapter 23, and verse 37. He's literally looking over Jerusalem, and he says this, verse 37, Matthew chapter 23. 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. I have to stop there for a moment. That, that analogy, as a, as a young boy living in, 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 I grew up in North Dakota, and we would have those mother hens, and there was a name we called them, clocks. Okay, did you ever hear that? Yes. Okay, and they could, they could puff themselves out. It was unimaginable how many little chicks they could just cover in their moving. You know, she's got this, she's in charge. And if you don't think she is, she's going to peck you. She's, she's, she owns those chicks. She's on guard. Have you guys ever seen that? Yes. It's amazing, isn't it? And I mean, <laughs> there, there could be like 15 or 20 little guys under there, right? And she's got them all protected. And she's telling the world, there ain't nobody going to take those. But what happens if they don't do what she says? That's what the Jews were doing with Jesus. Jesus was his king. He was the Messiah that literally would have everyone come to them, and he would protect them. He would be their king. He would be their Messiah. He would redeem them from their sin, and they rejected him. And he's saying at this point, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I'm crying for you. And then he says in verse 38, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And he left this scene. He was crucified just a couple of days later. He was buried. He rose from the dead, which is the reason I'm standing before you today. If my Jesus was still in the grave, I'd be looking for something else. That's not good enough. I've got to have a Savior that can rise from the dead. Somebody that can keep me from being dead eternally. The only one that's ever accomplished that is Jesus Christ. But do you know when that happens, what he just said, as he's weeping over Jerusalem? Behold, when you say... Now, that, those words are actually in Psalm 118, verse 26, when it says, that the very last words are, it says, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And if you go back to chapter 20, 21 of Matthew, write it down. You can write it down. Matthew 21, verse 6. That's exactly the words they said when Jesus Christ walked through downtown Jerusalem. But you know what? They didn't mean it. The next time that they will see him as their king, as their Messiah, will be at the end of the tribulation period. When Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, they will see him, Jesus, as the one they pierced. They will mourn for him. That is going to happen. And in the meantime, we are the recipients of God's grace. You will find at the very, and you know what kept, you know what, you know what's kept the kingdom from coming? This is, it's just so simple. And yet the Jewish, you know, you, you mentioned that Jewish man, uh, Shai, okay? And, and I'm, again, Shai is, is of Jewish descent. Jesus died for him just like he did for every one of us. And Satan can blind eyes and beguile hearts like you cannot believe. Do you know why the kingdom hasn't come? Because they haven't confessed and repented of what they've done to their Messiah. And right there, Peter, just days after his crucifixion, again, is laying the message out saying, just repent, just confess, and the kingdom will come now. That's all you need to do is accept your Messiah. I can see that. That's just how he would have said it. It's the, the kingdom will not come until they repent and confess that Jesus Christ is king. It won't happen. 
And guess what they do at the end of the tribulation? The tribulation period is not for us as Gentiles. In fact, we will be raptured out. Jesus Christ will not come to this earth again. He's in heaven. It's another reason right now that he says, Jesus is in heaven, has to remain there until you see him as being your king. Then he will come. Guess when he comes? Now, we as the church, those that have accepted Christ, literally we will meet him in the air. That's an event called the rapture. That's a catching away. He doesn't come to earth. That's not a second coming. That's us meeting him in the air. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm ready to blow this pap stand, right? We will be with him again in the millennium. We will be back as part of that whole team, if you will, as the Jews are enjoying their earthly millennial kingdom. But that will not happen until they see him as Messiah, the one they pierce, as it says in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. You will see me. God is saying that. It's so cool. I love that. You will see me, God, the Father, and they will look on him, Jesus, who they pierced. God the Father, God the Son are equal. I'm the first, I'm the last. And you find that at the end of the tribulation period. We are taken out at the beginning of the, of the rapture. I'm sorry, the rapture, we're taken out. And God begins to work a whole new dispensation. It's a whole new event. He's coming back to Romans chapter 11, ultimately, where he's going to be dealing with the Jews. This is the last invitation that he gave was through Peter. If you guys repent and confess today, the kingdom will come. Isn't that something? The next time is the end of the tribulation. And I'm talking all of this chastisement, all of this stuff it's going to take for them finally to look on Jesus and mourn for who they killed. And guess what happens right after that? The kingdom comes. Literally, I think it's moments. Just poof, just like that. They accept Jesus as their Messiah. They accept him as their king. Jesus begins the millennial reign. Now, why can't they get that? It's not time. That's right. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. There's a time. And by the way, this again, I say this periodically because I want to make sure that we understand the church, that's us in this time frame, the Gentile age, the times of the Gentiles, when it will be fulfilled, when its end is, is when literally we are taken out. But the church does not, does not become a substitute for Israel. God has set them aside because of their unbelief. And in the time that they're unbelieving, we as Gentiles are the recipients of God's grace. And, and again, if a Jew today sees Messiah, sees a Messianic Jew, he sees Jesus for who he is, guess what? He's saved. He's saved. It's the same Jesus. But the final seven years, I shouldn't say the final seven years, but the tribulation period, those seven years, I'm going to tell you something. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. Once in a while I run into an individual. Well, once the church is gone, then I'll know it really means it. And I know then I really got to pay attention. And I'm going to, you know, there will be a Bible because the words never. I'm just going to say this. If you missed it before Jesus came, the chances of you willing to give up your life and to be martyred for the very essence of just living. Have you seen all of, the, all of the stuff taking place in this digital currency? All of this thing of complete control of your finances? You can call it anything you want. That, my friends, is moving at a light speed towards the mark of the beast and full financial control. We are very, very close to that taking place. Now, I'm not trying to say when the rapture is That's not for me to say. Not for me to say. But I've never seen the lightning speed at which we are throwing things out that are God of our origin. 
transgenderism, all of the things that happen to traditional marriage, all of those things, the, the, the decimation of things that God has set in place for the betterment of this place. That's what Satan loves to do is to destroy things that God has put here. If you can knock down the delineation of what God has created, the end is near. I've never seen anything at the lightning speed that we're seeing right now. It's amazing to me. But God is operating under his timetable. There's nothing that it says in that book that says it's going to happen. It will happen. Praise God. Praise God. He cannot change. If someone is hearing my voice in the podcast and you're a Muslim today, your God, Allah, has the ability to abrogate. That means he can change his mind. That's the most diabolical, sinister thing I could possibly think of. Any previous Allah follower, no matter what his intentions were, to please Allah, tomorrow may not be valid because Allah can change his mind. I want my God to be immutable. I, don't, I want him to be, as it's declared in, in all over the scriptures, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God. I can count on him being, it's exclusive. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. Thank you. Now, people are offended by the fact that it's exclusive. As long as it takes you where you want to be, I'm good with exclusive. I'm good with that because I'm not God. Follow the rules or whatever. This is an amazing message. I'm, I'm telling you, I can't believe that God would be so full of grace. And he's, the, the same message goes to everyone every day. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The victory is yours through Jesus Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? Powerful. Now, we've talked about two things. The fact that your sins would be blotted out. The kingdom would come as a nation to Israel. It would say also, uh, let's go back to Acts. We're going to move quickly now. I know you find that to be impossible for me to state that, but let's try. Uh, Acts chapter 4, and it says, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which, was, which before was preached unto you. That's like the millennium reign would come, the kingdom will come, and Jesus Christ will rule and reign as king. He will come if you confess and if you repent of your sins. Just adding more credence to that. And then it goes on to talk about what Moses said. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. In fact, this is a passage that Moses was their first prophet. Moses was the first prophet of Israel. And so he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to pull, I'm going to name drop. I'm going to pull Moses out of the hat. And I want to, I want to relay, relay back to you what he said. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. He says this, this is Moses. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall hearken. This is actually speaking of the Messiah. Look down at verse 19. If you don't, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require of him. In other words, he will be judged. His life will be taken from him. If you don't confess, if you don't repent Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, as Messiah, you will be under judgment. So if you confess today, if you convert today, if you repent, literally you will avoid all of that judgment, even though you've already put him on a tree. See, that to me is remarkable. That's just remarkable. I would have said, I'll give him a chance before they put me on a cross, right? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't that be fair? Look, this is your last warning. Here's Jesus going down. He's, he's before Pilate. 
And he says, hold it, Pilate, one more thing, one more thing. I know it's going to happen, but one more time. Okay, guys, listen, listen very carefully. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah speaking to you, the Son of God. Emmanuel, my name was that, the, my father gave to Joseph to call me. Emmanuel, God with us. I am the picture of God for you. Last call, if you crucify me, you're doomed forever. That seems fair, doesn't it? <laughs> That's not what Jesus said. In fact, they hang him on a cross at 9 in the morning, and the first thing he says is, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Ah, that's my saving grace, isn't it? That's my Savior at work. Judgment will not come. And then he tops it off, Peter does, in verse 25, that there's blessings that will be yours. He said, you are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus Christ, his son Jesus, I'm sorry, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. There's blessings to come. There are promises to be fulfilled. If all you need to do is repent, turn around, Say, Jesus, you are my Savior. You died for my sins. I can get my sins blotted out. The kingdom will come. The Messiah will serve as king. There will be no judgment that could be mine if I reject it. And the promises are fulfilled. Whoa. And they all signed up. No. <laughs> you know how we know that? The kingdom didn't come then. Now, it was responded by two ways. And this is how Satan works as well. When the gospel is given, when the full picture of life is unfolded and unpacked, and you see it, guess who comes along? His name is Satan. He's active. He's a bugger. He's trying to blind the minds of all of those who receive and hear this. He's pretty, he's pretty good at it, too. He's really good at it. But two things. First of all... Who, here they are, right? Here's the priest. They're not Pharisees, they're Sadducees. Why would this make such a big difference to the Sadducees? Well, they're in charge of the temple. We're going to find some individual. We're going to find Annas. He's the ex-high priest. He's part of the mafia, if you will. And his daughter married Caiaphas, who is the now high priest. Can you see the coziness of the political hierarchy? And by the way, Romans put the high priests in, in office. They don't let them be there too long. They'll replace them. But if Annas is kind of like the power broker, and they kind of get along pretty well, and you don't rock the boat, you can kind of keep it in the same family. That sounds like U.S. politics. Yes. Sounds like world politics. Isn't that how it works? Because that's Satan's system. That's how he likes to play. And here we have all of these guys gathered up. Now, they're ticked off. They're massively ticked off. we got this Peter guy talking about killing Jesus in public, and people are receiving him. There's literally thousands at Solomon's porch that are listening and they're partaking. we got to stop this. we got to shut this down. He, he, he's doing it in our house, which is so cool to me. That's what even makes this thing brighter. See, that's why I throw that on the wall. He isn't doing it at a house downtown Jerusalem. This is in the temple in enemy territory. Am I too animated today? Sorry, just who I am, right? It's so exciting. And then here's Peter, and he's laying this all out, and here they come. They are just like racing to the, just shut this thing down. They, they got to quiet this thing down before the crowd does something. And the crowd is actually receiving it. In fact, it tells us 5,000 men were saved. And the word is man. It's differentiated between a person. It's not like, you know, 5,000 guys, right, or 5,000 persons. 5,000 men. So you do the math however you want to do it. 
That's a large gathering. Those are the ones that said, yes, you have made your case. I saw Jesus perform miracles. I know of that man, Lazarus, that just lived two miles away in Bethany. I saw that man, and he was alive. All of these things are taking... Those people, my friends, they repented, confessed Jesus as Lord. They are saved on that day. Now, the other side, they are mad as hornets. They are bringing... This is, by the way, mark it in your Bible. This is the beginning of the church age, and there's beginnings of everything in Acts. This is the beginning right here. This chapter 4, verse 1, is the beginning of persecution in the church. This is where it starts, right here. Now, there's persecution today in America. But it's not so overt in the sense of, you know, cutting your head off, being martyred, being boiled in oil, all of these other things. That The creativity of those that were persecuting was mind-boggling, just mind-boggling, what they would do. They would actually sew Christians up in animal skins and then feed them to hungry dogs. What would possess you to do that? Yeah, gruesomeness of Satan. Make a mark. Make an example. Try to get people out of fear to stay away. But it's amazing, though, true persecution, and I'm saying true in the sense of its overtness. If you go to, if you go to China or you go to, to a Muslim nation where literally your life will be taken from you if you stand firm on this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it'll be over. But you know what? That's the real stuff. In America, it's more of a societal, it's a Facebook, it's a wokeism, it's an awake kind of a thing that it's societally taking, you know, it's, it, it's a, what's the right I'm looking for? Um, a shunning or a, somebody, there's better words, I'm not doing very good. Um, silencing? Um, almost, say it? Ridiculing. Ridicule leaves a mark, by the way, don't, don't, especially in youngsters growing up, right? And we talk about peer pressure. I'm afraid when I'm going to, if, I, if the Lord gives me 86 years, I don't know why I picked 86, I'll probably still be subject to peer pressure, right? It's just who we are. You never grow out of that. But there's a time in which there's formative years. It's amazing how much power can be done through peer pressure or bullying. That's another thing today. Cyberbullying, all of that. And there's one thing you can't be today. You can be anything, but you cannot be a Christian. And it's true. Oh, you have no chance then, no. Isn't that true? Okay, now that's persecution. But I want to say it comes in different flavors and different things. Now, if, if you get caught in, 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 in a Muslim nation, you'll more than likely have your head chopped off. Okay? That's pretty finalizing. But you are in the arms of Jesus Christ immediately. That's the really cool thing about trusting Christ as Savior. Whatever you see as what could be fearing or worrying events, which don't let that do that to you because you are above and beyond any of that. Literally, at that second, you are in the arms of Jesus Christ. It's over. It's done. But here they are. They're, they're mad. What are they going to do? What are you going to do? Now, let's, let, let me ask this question. There's Sanhedrin. They're going to about to be... What time is it, anyway? I've lost complete track. Oh, we got time we haven't used. Okay, good. If you, is your watch right? <laughs> doesn't matter. I like his watch. Okay, so here we go. What would you do? What would you do? Now, here's the Sanhedrin. These are the guys. These are the guys. Peter would have to think, you know what? If we could get to the Sanhedrin, these are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these guys. They are the higher. This is the Supreme Court of Israel. If we could get those guys on our side, if we could get those guys to repent and confess Jesus, the whole nation would follow after them. How can we get an audience with them? How could we, how could we like, bring them with an opportunity, with a message about Jesus Christ? 
God does it. <laughs> right here. Guess what they do? They come on the scene and they said, uh, let's lock these guys up. This, and they did. The, there's temple police because that was another thing the Romans wanted. They said wanted law and order. There's no question they wanted law and order. So they said, lock these guys up. So they take Peter and John and they lock them up. Put them in prison overnight. Because he said it was eventide, which means it would probably be after 6 o'clock. This is an event that's taken three hours. From the time when they went to the beautiful gate, they saw our lame man, they healed him, and now they're just sharing around Solomon's porch on the outer wall. People are getting saved. And here comes the police, the temple police, the Sadducees. Now, why would the Sadducees be so ticked off? They didn't believe in the resurrection. Peter's not making friends with those guys, right? And he's talking about this Jesus that was resurrected. He's talking about life from death. Now, if you were a Sadducee, the thing that would have happened in your life and your upbringing is you would have seen only five books as being inspired scripture in the Old Testament. That was the Pentateuch. That's the only five that were inspired by God. And there's nothing in their words. There's nothing about resurrection in those five books. Therefore, anything about resurrection is not right. It's not right. The rest of the Old Testament they saw as nothing more than commentary on the five books. So their position theologically was very affirmative in the sense there is no resurrection. And I'm trying to think, wow, that's a bleak look. Isn't that a sad look? It's like somebody says, you know, there's no future, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's nothing. It's just nothing after this. Just when it's over, it's over. Oh, my goodness. What? Are you kidding me? I am kidding you. There's a lot in eternity's values, but what you choose here is absolutely of utmost importance. That was the whole message that Peter was saying. So the Sadducees, they're mad about the resurrection. They're also in charge of the temple. All of these people, they're in charge. The temple police, now guess what? That's a nice, tidy little community too, right? So they lock them away for the night, put them in jail, and they bring them out the next day. Now, did you see something that was missing? Peter and John. Well, I'll be. You know, you preach the gospel and they lock you up in prison. Where's God in all of this? What's going on? I can't. What? what? You don't see any of that, do you? You don't see any resistance? You don't see any whining? You don't see any pushback? I get the picture. The temple police just said, we're going to take you to prison. Okay, let's go to prison. Well, it's fine. And they go. Right? It's not there. It's not there. And the next day, here they come. And guess what? And what was the question I asked that Peter could have been saying? Who's the the key component in Israel's future for getting the kingdom here? It'd be that Sanhedrin, right? Guess what God does? He uses a persecuting moment. I bet you Satan didn't even see this one coming. I'm just pretty sure he didn't. Because all of a sudden, now they're gathered in a group of 70 of the Sanhedrin. 71 to be exact, the high priest would cast any tie-breaking vote. 71 of these men that are running the nation Israel, Supreme Court-wise. And guess what they are doing? They have Peter and John, they met in a circle. They're in the middle. And they ask the perfect question. By whose name did you do this? That is like a blind-blowing opening. I couldn't have got there myself easier, right? Oh, now that you ask, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> oh, we didn't mean that, right? See, they couldn't even say his name. They hated him so badly. But they opened it up. It was like, is, not, is God not in charge right now? Totally, 100%. Now, what if you're Peter and John? 
How was that night? Apparently full of faith. I don't, I don't see, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit immediately. We'll, we'll look at it in just a second. Is this not crazy what God is doing in the face of difficulties? Now, I know life enough that you folks that I'm seeing, we're putting my eyes on right now, your days are not every day full with bliss and peace and wonder and amazement. There are thorns. There are struggles. There are consequences. There are things that are happening in your life that aren't easy, aren't fun, and sometimes raw, downright challenging. In fact, painful. How am I doing? And it can happen in any arena. It can be financially. It can be mentally. It can be physically. And even spiritually. Because I think, I think of some of the greatest pastors in, 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 in this nation's history. They were subject to discouragement at a level that you can't even imagine. I'll tell you why. I know, since I've served this church as your pastor, as your shepherd, Satan's onslaughts are amazing. He doesn't want God's work to go on. He hates God. He hates you if you're following after God. He will use anything to thwart and to stifle and to just block out your message. That's his goal. But I also know this. Romans 8.28 and we know. You can count on this. We know that God works all things together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, that's, this is a perfect example of that. I doubt, very seriously, that Peter and John, as they're walking to the temple on this daily, they're, they're going there daily. This is what they do. They teach. They preach. And they're saying, you know what? I'm hoping that we would go to jail tonight. I think it could be a breakthrough. <laughs> I hope we get some persecution going on here. What do you think? Probably not so much, right? But you know what? They did trust. And we were talking about that in, a, in another session. I don't know where we were at. Talking about the shield of faith. See, that's the one thing. If you talk about, this, this is homework for you guys. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Just try that one on for size. Because God, in the end of Ephesians, says, and finally, brethren, he wants you to take all of the equipment that's necessary for the battle that's out there. The shield of faith is one we talked about just recently. That's the one, literally, that these guys would have had. It's the one that you don't have on all the time. If you go out, there's three things that you need to have on at all times. That is... The helmet of salvation would be one you'd also pick up, but this, you'd have the breastplate of righteousness. You'd have the belt of truth. If you don't start with the belt of truth, you have nothing. That literally is what holds your life together. If you do not have the belt of truth, and that is God's word, you haven't even started dressing. Put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. Okay? Then when you go out the door, when the real, you know, like, here comes, here comes the call. Here comes the, the battle cry. Hey, we got an enemy. Got to go. The first thing you want to grab is right there by the wall because you're going to have it right as you head out the door. And do not go out into life without it. And that is the shield of faith because it wards off the fiery darts of doubt. And I'm afraid there would have been a lot of fiery darts of doubt going at Peter and John in that night. Look at your God. Pfft, what a joke. I mean, look, you heal a guy. You tell the people about Jesus. 2,000 to 5,000 get saved, and you're going to go to prison. Isn't that a good God you serve? Can you see him? I can, I can, right? I'm doing fine. I can throw darts all day long, right? That shield of faith, you know what it said? And by the way, it's not 
there was two types of shields. There would have been the one that would have been just about, you know, like that big, a round one. And you held that with a hand and you had your sword and you were, you were parrying off the, the, the blows from the other person and you were doing your, that, that's kind of that offensive. No, no, this, this shield is different. The word for this, it's four foot by two foot. You can hide behind it. That's the shield of faith I want. My God has given me the full shield of faith. Because when that fiery dart that says, your God does not, you can't trust God. What a joke. Look what he's done to you. Look at your situation. You're broke. You're whatever, just whatever you want to name it. When they went to prison that night, those darts would have been flying at them. I'm convinced they said, you know what? We can trust our God any place, any time, any way, because he's promised us to be with us. He would never leave us. That's the shield of faith in action. And they come out, and they are afforded an a meeting with the Sanhedrin and they asked the question in whose name did you do this? Stay tuned, right? Let's go there. We're going to wind this up. Acts chapter 4. It came to pass, verse 5, on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alex and the whole crew is there and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest. It's a cozy little gathering. In fact, it's the full Sanhedrin. We're gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, in the middle, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Ah, don't you love that? It wasn't Peter saying, I wonder what I'm going to say. Have you ever had that opportunity? I think we talked about this. Someone, someone and I were talking about this. When you get in a situation, don't ask what you're going to say. What do I say? No, no. God, what do you want me to say? God, what do you want me to say? Fill me with the Holy Ghost right now. I want to know what I'm supposed to say. I have those bullet prayers going out all the time. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Who do I want to? Yesterday, there was three people came across my mind, and I called them. There was a guy the day before. This is really cool. This guy, he, I've known him for some years, and he said he'd been in the hospital, and he'd come in and a couple of bulls, right? And I just, out of the blue, I said, how are you really doing, Sean? And he starts crying. He said, my health is terrible. I've got to move. I, I just, I, he was just overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed. And we spent time together. We finally got two bulls loaded in the trailer. But the really key part was is the time that I spent with Sean. Because Sean and his wife were moving to Pennsylvania. And he doesn't know anything of the future. Right? And I shared with him, and this, this has helped more people than it did me. When Lisa went on day 21 after her stroke, and the ambulance came to pick her up the second time, and I beat the ambulance back to the emergency room, or, the, or to the emergency entrance. And I'm sitting against the wall, just like this. And I'm waiting, and I said to myself, it was out loud, but it was quiet, I don't know if I can go through this again. And in my head was that still small voice that said, do you think you could do it for the next five minutes with me? I shared that with Sean the day before yesterday, and he said, Larry, I can't tell you how much I needed that. I said, Sean, I can't tell you how much I needed that. I said, break it down into units with God. Don't go days. Days are too long. Don't even make it hours. Make it minutes. And if you can do five minutes with God, he can take you the next five minutes. I suspect that's how Peter, Peter and John were. They were on board with all of that. Weren't they? He's filled with the Holy Ghost, right? He's, he's going to say things in three verses that are going to blow their minds. And he has an audience of the people you couldn't have gathered under any kind of... You couldn't have even commanded them to be there. They're there because God brought them because of persecution. God knows what he's doing. 
Aren't you glad God has you and he knows what he's doing? And there may be times that you don't know if you know what he's doing, but that's okay. <laughs> let's finish out. I'm going to wear you guys out. Let's go. Um, let's finish. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 8, said on that, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He's addressing them. He's in char- Who's in charge right now? It's not the Sanhedrin. It's the Holy Spirit. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, will be a note unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. If it's a crime to heal somebody, yeah, I'm, we're guilty. But it was Jesus that did it. He's the one you killed. He's the one that rose again. This is the stone which was set at naught of you built. That was a very common Old Testament theme out of Psalm 118, 22. The Messiah being that stone, that, the cornerstone. But look at verse 12, the exclusivity of the gospel. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now that is powerful. Three simple verses, and Peter has opened this thing up completely and laid it down. They have decisions to make. This is good stuff. You know what? This is my encouragement to you. That same Holy Spirit that filled Peter to give that message to those people in enemy territory. I can call it nothing else. They weren't receiving of that message. It's the same Holy Spirit that lives within you if you've trusted Christ. It is the same Holy Spirit that will indwell you if you reach out today and you repent of your sins and you turn around and you confess, you run towards Jesus Christ as your Savior and you put your full trust in Him. That same Holy Spirit will indwell you. And the world needs Jesus just the same as it did then. The theme is the same. The message is the same. The people are different. I'll tell you what, I love Acts. We, this is fun, isn't it? This is fun. Because God is on the throne and he is in charge and everything he says will happen will happen. Let's pray. Father God, the wonders of your name, the wonders that you perform, as we've watched two just ordinary men that have the opportunity to walk with Jesus for three years. They weren't educated. We'll find that next week. They, were, yeah, they weren't educated. They didn't go to the right places, didn't know the right people. But those men, Father, were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that indwells us when we get saved. As the Holy Spirit filled Peter, and he shared just briefly, but so candidly, so so cutting edge, exposing their sin and exposing Jesus Christ for all that he was. The exclusivity, Father, of the gospel to me brings peace. I'm glad there's not 150 ways to get to God because there could be a lot of wrong ones then too. I'd rather have just one way and know it. Thank you, Father, for the scripture. As we're gathered here today, we were so blessed. As we looked at last week, uh, our guest was here. And literally, if you understand, 1.45 billion people on this planet, 20% of the population does not have a Bible. 
in their language. We are blessed. Father, there's so many things that we need to be thankful for. That we, that we, we desire to know you more. And thank you, Father, that we've had these moments of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing our thoughts. The word being open to us, seeing firsthand, candidly, the power that you put in that situation. A man was healed. The gospel was given. People responded to the gospel. Father, may we do the same. May we share the gospel, its exclusivity, and share it boldly. May our lives live a life of testimony as well. Father, I would ask for protection for all of those that are here today. You know their needs before they do. You know the challenges facing them. You know there may even be someone this week, an upheaval that will completely blindside them. Something they couldn't have imagined happening. Father, wrap your arms around them. May they feel safe in your arms, regardless of circumstance or situation. You're that kind of a God. You are above and beyond, more powerful than anything that could happen. Your love is unquenchable. We bow at your feet with humility and yieldedness to the Spirit. We praise your name, lift you on high, thanking you for everything that you're doing in Christ's name. Amen.